therapy is a safe space to come home to yourself. It's a place for you to feel completely safe, to be vulnerable, to explore the depths of your own being, to say things that you might never like have the space or the safety to say to other people and to really just come come home to you. Hello, welcome to the Active Ingredient Podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and this is your destination for all things growth. Hello, welcome back to Active Ingredient. This week's episode is a deep dive on a topic I am very passionate about, which is all about therapy. Therapy has been one of the tools in my life that has truly helped me get to the core of so many things that were holding me back before. And I am very loud about it because I really, even though the stigma has definitely been lifted, I genuinely do not want to shy away from talking about the fact that I go to therapy. So many of the people that I respect go to therapy and that it is not anything to feel ashamed for. And it's everything to be proud of yourself for. In my opinion, if done with the right person and the right techniques, I believe it's an indispensable tool that can completely change the trajectory of your life for the better. With that said, the guest of the show this week is Charlotte Haig an incredibly kind and wise human who happens to be both a licensed marriage and family therapist, a career clarity coach, and a yoga teacher. I actually met Charlotte back when I was in LA for work. And I definitely talked about it on this show. I think I mentioned it in like two episodes that I was there and had kind of just this amazing career highlight trip. It was such an amazing time. I felt like it was just so many opportunities, relationships, meetings, like the the vibes were so high. And even with all of that amazing positive momentum forward, I was feeling a lot, even if it's on the quote unquote positive side of the spectrum, it's still a lot of feeling, right? It's still a lot of movement, a lot of energy that's inside of you. And I was feeling a lot of overwhelm, even though it was so many positive things happening. And as per usual, as I talk about on this show all the time, my go-to tool is to go to yoga. So when I'm feeling down when I'm feeling extremely high, when I'm feeling really lost, or when I feel like I need some stability, or when I'm just feeling meh, or when I'm feeling great, always my tool is to go to yoga. So in this scenario in LA, I found a yoga class that was near where I was staying. And Charlotte happened to be the instructor. And as per usual, I came out literally another human as I do every single time when I show up to yoga. But something really grabbed me from this class. And it was that Charlotte read a quote that was exactly what I needed to hear at the time. It was a quote by Brianna Wyest that it just struck so intensely that I had to talk to her after the class. So we got to talking and she told me that she's also a therapist and it clicked immediately that I was like, I need to have you on the podcast. So in this part one of the episode, there are two parts to this conversation. Part one, Charlotte is, she's not just sharing so many insights as to what therapy is, who it's for, what to expect, and what exactly happens when you go consistently, and the fears that people have, what trauma is. And by the way, spoiler alert, we all have trauma. So she shares a lot of that, but she's also sharing a lot of her own journey, going from working in communications to finding her way into her calling as a therapist, which to me is just someone who has chosen the path of following their active ingredient or their ingredient and activating it. 
So I do want to call out that we do talk about some very deep and very real mental health topics that I believe need to be brought into the light in a normal way in order to continue to remove shame around it. But I did want to give that disclaimer if that's just not for you, which I totally and completely understand. And I always say this, take what resonates with you and just leave what does not. And if this that means not listening to this episode, that is totally fine by me. I also wanted to make it crystal clear that I am not a therapist and Active Ingredient is not providing healthcare, mental healthcare, or medical advice to you. Charlotte is a guest of the show and we are just having a conversation around a topic that I believe should be brought more into the light. Only a licensed physician should evaluate your situation, provide a diagnosis, or give any other medical advice to you. So if you or someone you know is struggling, please reach out for help immediately. And we have included resources in the show notes, if that's the case. And also, if that's the case, you are not alone. And this is part of being human. Now that we got all of that out of the way, I did want to share the quote that Charlotte said in the class, because when I say that it really, it just hit me to my core. And I felt like it was just so in alignment with a what I was feeling at that time. And also just like, really the purpose of this show that I wanted to read it to you guys before we get started. So it goes, you may believe that living life to the fullest is seeing every country in the world and quitting your job on a whim and falling recklessly in love, but it's really just knowing how to be where your feet are. It's learning how to take care of yourself, how to make a home within your own skin. It's learning how to build a simple life you're proud of. A life most fully lived is not always composed of the things that rock you awake, but those that slowly assure you that it's okay to slow down, that you don't always have to prove yourself, that you don't need to fight forever or constantly want more, that it's okay for things to be just as they are. And when those big moments come, which they will, you will feel them in a way that you couldn't before. You'll experience them in a way that you didn't before. You'll appreciate them because you'll be able to fully be in them. Little by little, you'll begin to see that life can only grow outward in proportion to how stable it is inward. That if the joy is not in the little things first, the big things don't fully find us. So with that, Charlotte, welcome to the show. So I guess before we get into the specifics to what the theme of this episode is, which is all about what to expect in therapy, what is therapy. I'm so curious with all people that work in this space in whatever capacity, anyone that is really in this field, I am so curious on their own journeys. How did you find this passion or this vehicle and how to express yourself or how to really like connect with people? And what were you like as a kid that you remember? This is my like second, maybe third, fourth <laughs> career at this point. Um, even though I'm I'm 35, but I've, my 20s were all about exploration. So I used to work in communications, actually. I worked at a PR agency, a global PR agency called Ketchum, which is based in New York or New York and all over the world. And I was doing that, living in Manhattan, like really, that was a, a goal of mine. But there was something in me that was like, this isn't it. This isn't that soul passion calling that I was like, I've always wanted to find. And my mom is actually a therapist. So she's an LMFT, licensed marriage and family therapist like me. I never wanted to go that route because I saw her doing it and I wanted to be like different than my mom. Right. But more and more I started thinking about it and I was like that, just hearing her stories from her career, hearing the change stories that she was helping her clients achieve. I started thinking about it more and more. 
I got interested in global mental health. And basically, long story short, quit my job in New York, went to Uganda to volunteer for a few months at an NGO that provides counseling for refugees and just sort of shadowed the people there, got to know more about what it is to do trauma therapy, applied from grad school over there. And then the rest is history, like came back, got my master's in counseling and then now a therapist. So that's like kind of how I found this. And I've never looked back. It's, it was the best decision I ever had. It was terrifying at the time, but it was great. How long yeah. were you like ruminating on thinking that this might not be the career path for you when you were like at these really reputable agencies and, you know, doing that kind of work? I feel like someone listening, they're probably listening because there's like some itch inside of them that there's something more. That's literally mm-hmm. how this started mm-hmm. for me too. So how long were you like in that phase and how did you get there? Because I think that like doing it is different than like thinking about it. It's different than Mm -hmm. planning for it, but like actually making that shift. Like what was that like for you and how long were you thinking about it? So I've always been a doer. Like I've always been an executor and I think that's just part of my nature. It's like anyone likes astrology. I'm an Aries. I'm very just like, let's just like get this done. So I think that worked in my favor. (laughs) I'll say that. but. The percolating period where I was sort of like, I feel like this is with any big decision I've ever made. It's like, there's little hints, you know, you get that little like "Mm," that feeling in your gut that like something is either off or you're being called to something else. Probably it was about two years fully of like really thinking about it and and not sure. Like I almost went back to get my master's in public health. I almost decided to say, like, let me just go into like consulting and try to travel a lot and see the world because that's another passion I have. And so it was a couple of years of just like, okay, what is this? Like, what is this feeling in my gut that like there's something else? And it's, I think, with anyone who's made these big shifts, it can be kind of isolating because there was a lot of Saturdays where I would just go to coffee shops and just like Google, go down rabbit holes of 20 million different programs I could apply to and just kind of like check in with myself and see, is this it? No, no, no. So I think probably I would say a couple of years of just like really trying to tune in to myself and take time away from other people because I didn't want to be influenced by what anybody else said, including my mom. She tried to talk me out of being a therapist for her own reasons, but um, she's just, she had been in the field for a long time. And I think she was starting to experience burnout at that point. And she was worried about that for me. But yeah, I think it was just like a, a couple of years of just really sort of sitting with the feeling and trying to explore. So what were you like as a kid? And I'm sure you've done a lot of like back work on figuring out like what little Charlotte was like, but do you remember qualities and do you find that they've found their way back to you now? Yeah, I think I've always had a split of I'm very playful, very joyful, very silly, but then I can really like put my head down and get stuff done and I can get serious and I can hold space for very serious things like trauma and things like that, that my clients come to me with or my friends. So it's just that split for me. That's how I operate today. Like I think a lot of me is still really similar to how I was as a kid, which I am happy about because I think that a lot of us don't let ourselves lean into joy and play and silliness. But for me, that's like so important to balance out the heaviness that can kind of be part of my day-to-day job too. I'm curious, what do you think about like a lot of people going from like marketing communications into more healthcare fields? Like what is your thought on that? I see it a lot actually. And Me it's too. funny since, Me too. since I made and that I'm seeing shift, so right? many people that are like also founders or like consultants, marketers, like I'm seeing this hunger, like people are starving for that like deep purpose and fulfillment. And I'm seeing it like genuinely with so many people in my space, like in New York and Miami, mm-hmm. everywhere. 
And yeah, what is that? Like, what is happening that like all these people that are in such creative, like marketing heavy fields are like wanting to explore this space more? Yeah. You know, I've been listening to your podcast because it's awesome. And I was listening to the solo episode you did. I think it was like October, maybe about stories and about owning your story and using your story, not just in like the context of brand building, but in the context of just your life. Right. Mm -hmm. And like how I think that a lot of people who are drawn to communications and marketing are drawn to the stories and are drawn to their storytellers, really. And they're deeply curious. Otherwise, you know, it's not, it's a, it's a creative field. Look at it. It's called communications, right? Like, and that's what therapy is really. It's a lot of like deep storytelling, communication, making sense of our narratives. And then with founders, you know, I love working with, I work with a lot of clients who are either in the entertainment space, because I'm in LA, or, you know, founders of startups, things like that. And probably the underlying thing I would say is just that curiosity. It's like, if you're in any of these fields, we're all like very, very curious people. And when you're also creating something that is for other people, if you don't understand your target audience, if you don't understand like who you're really speaking to, then your product's not going to do well or what's your Mm -hmm. service, whatever. So there's a lot of overlap, but I see that like, since I left the agency, I was at all the time, people are reaching out to me that I used to work with like years ago saying like, Hey, I'm 50 and I'm kind of done with communications. I'm going back to get my master's in psychology. I think, can I pick your brain? So it is interesting that there's this overlap, but I think it's that curiosity and the storytelling piece. For me, it's like a way of not that I'm I'm clearly I'm not a therapist, but like I, I do speak on this podcast way more about like personal professional development from like a psych lens, I guess. And when I have conversations on this podcast versus what I have done in the past, even though I've I've definitely been integrating more with clients, like being more in this space, I guess what I'm getting at is that I feel like the itch for me or like the call to come to this type of platform to talk about it more directly is that that it's more direct and it's more like we're getting to the root conversation versus like using a product or a service as Mm -hmm. a conduit for that. Mm -hmm. Not to say that one Mm -hmm. is better than the other, but I think maybe that is the wave of what's happening is that people are kind of wanting to just go a little bit more direct, but it's the same thing. That's really interesting. Yeah. I like that. I mean, that completely makes sense. I think there's definitely space for both. And at this moment in time, I am playing like with one foot in both. But I feel like that, at least for me, like has been the why behind it. I'm like, I feel like I just Mm. need to have conversations that are more like specific to this versus like talking about it as part of a conversation as it pertains to selling a product. Totally. And I think that's the difference too, like maybe a little, a little bit tangential, but I feel like I thought a lot about whether I want to go into like mental health policy or whether I want to go into like direct client care. And it's just like, it's different, right? You're speaking to a bigger group or you're getting like directly into those like one on one deep conversation. So it's almost like horizontal and vertical too. It's like two different ways of looking at it. Well, I'm so excited to have this conversation on therapy as a whole. So something Mm -hmm. that I'm doing going into 2023 and just part of the podcast world is going to be having conversations on specific tools. Obviously hearing about these experts in their field, but really like there's so many tools available to us. There really are Mm -hmm. so many and not, it's not a one size fits all. Like therapy may be great for someone and hypnosis may work better for them. So it kind of just having Mm -hmm. experts across the field talk about what that tool is. And I do find that there's a lot of intrigue around therapy and the stigma has definitely like gone away a lot, which is a great Mm -hmm. step in the right direction. But Mm -hmm. I, I do still feel, and I get questions a lot because I'm pretty open about the fact that I go to therapy and have been in therapy for a while about what to expect. 
there's a lot of Mm -hmm. fear around trauma and what Mm -hmm. trauma even is, like what's going to come out. And I felt that before starting therapy. I was like, well, what if something comes out that like ruins my life? And like, that was Mm -hmm. the fear that I had. So what is therapy for someone who is Mm -hmm. curious? What can they expect? And then what is trauma? Yeah. Great question. question. Um, (laughs) Therapy to me, I love that you say this about your podcast too. To me, like, and I kind of outsourced this to some of my Instagram community because I was curious what their definition of therapy would be. And I got some really great answers. For me, when I thought about it more and like what my definition is, is therapy is a safe space to come home to yourself. That's kind of what, how I want my clients to feel is that it's a place for you to feel completely safe, to be vulnerable, to explore the depths of your own being, to say things that you might never like have the space or the safety to say to other people and to really just come come home to you. I believe that we all have that wisdom inside of us. I am no more wise than any of my clients about their experience. And so I want my clients to feel like it's that. You know, I got answers from my community all about, you know, a place to verbalize your complex thoughts and things like that. And like there are there's a million different different definitions. I got cathartic. I got a few different so definitions, cathartic. but to me, I just got yes. whole body chills because that for me is like it's catharsis. That's what it is. Is it okay? Well, no. I mean, yeah. it, it's all of the things that you're saying. It's it's for me. It's definitely a place to come home. It's a place to explore. It's like you're really like exploring yourself. You're going in and you're mm-hmm. getting curious. Why? How come mm-hmm. in these situations I get upset or it makes me feel sad or angry or whatever? And it's like. It's exploration. It's cathartic. It's like, this is my definition. And then I want you to keep uh-huh. going on like what, yeah. what your people said. But at the bottom of it all, it is what you said, coming home to yourself via mm-hmm. conversation, exploring, asking, and getting curious to me. Yeah. I think that that's it, right? We're exploring, we're going deep and inward. And for many of us that grew up, especially in homes where with families where it's no blame there, but a lot of people don't have that privilege. And I want to also say that like therapy, I totally acknowledge is a privilege, right? Like something that is not always accessible for a lot of people. I've worked in community mental health and that's been amazing to work with populations that are underserved. But yeah, it's, I love your definition. It's at the base of it, come home to yourself through exploration, asking the question, why? Like getting curious and leaning in Versus what I often see, especially when we talk about trauma, is that we become very fragmented. Like we learn that certain ways of being or certain characteristics are not okay. And when we talk about shadow, again, we repress those. We say, that's not okay, but this is okay. So I'll be like this. And then we wonder like, okay, but why do I feel like, can I say shit on this? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So why do I feel like shit all the time if I'm living this quote unquote perfect life and I'm operating as this, it's often because we haven't looked at like what's over here, like what's underneath. And that's, I think, a really important way of looking at therapy and also understandable that it's scary because we don't always want to look at like the dark. We want to kind of be more on the light, but integration is a really important concept too in therapy is that we want to learn to integrate all of those parts of ourselves so that we're a system, like internally we're a system. So we want to make sure that the light and the dark can play with each other, can be integrated, can coexist. So that's, yeah, therapy. And I find (laughs) also that like the quote unquote dark, it's Uh like something that has been really liberating for me is that there is no unique thought, action. We're all human. So 
things that like would be considered dark are not something that you have done, said, behaved in, acted that is unique to you. Most of us, if not all of us, have probably gone through mm-hmm. some level or on some sort of spectrum of whatever that thing is that you have shame around. The darkness is really just something that like people don't either talk about or it's actually just that. It's it's things that are human that people don't talk about because there's shame around it. Mm-hmm. But it's actually, if it was brought into the light, it wouldn't even be dark. It would just be standard in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Totally. The thing you know? I say pretty often is like, that's normal. <laughs> and my clients, I can just see like the wave of relief when I say that because they think that they're the only ones with all of this. And trust me, like you're not. <laughs> whatever is whatever's going through your head, it is someone else is thinking it, probably millions of other people. So I think that that's a really big... And to, like shame, Brene Brown always says, shame breeds in secrecy and in darkness, in right? Darkness. So as soon as we open it up and we just say it, then the shame can lift. So that's what are some of the things that you've seen in therapy that are like the driving shame, the things that are really like at the core of shame that you're like, literally like all my clients like feel this on some level. That's a really good question. Honestly, I think that, you know, this is dark. I'll just go there. It's not uncommon for me to work with people who have suicidal thoughts. It's something that I think from different experiences and different phases of our lives, a lot of us have felt that hopelessness Mm -hmm. and that I just can't do it anymore feeling, whether it's like a really active suicidal thought where you have like everything, you know, kind of planned for what you want to do, or whether it's just more of that passive fleeting, I can't do this. It's too much. And I think it's really important to talk. That's the big one, because I feel like, especially with Twitch and what happened over the last couple of weeks, you see this person who is like, seems to be this beacon of light and clearly underneath they're struggling. What would it be like if we could just get rid of the shame around that and feel like we had the space to like reach out and talk about it more? So that's a huge one. To normalize that like every person on planet earth. And I think everything is a spectrum. So it's Mm -hmm. like, there shouldn't be shame around anything from being human. And it's like, if that's something, that's something that everyone has experienced on some level in the spectrum of feeling Mm -hmm. hopeless, sad, depressed, whatever. That is part of being human. It's not something that you're doing in isolation. Yeah. I'm curious, like, even with like the Twitch thing or like even this, uh-huh. like this, this topic, which is like, I feel like the most important one because it's probably like the most pressing and like needs to be tended to immediately. But like underbelly, when someone is in that phase, if they're in that level of darkness, in my opinion, and I'm not a therapist, but I think that there's probably like a very deep rooted rock of shame that has not been tended to that is mm-hmm. screaming to come to the light. What are those rocks? What are the mm. underbelly rocks that you see in therapy that once they're lifted, it shifts shit? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's my answer is always, it depends because everybody is, you, you know, we have shared experiences, but everybody is such a unique human on this planet, but it's typically a negative core belief that was started like very young in age, probably pre-verbally. And this is the work I've been doing more and more with clients is doing, um, I just got trained in EMDR, Mm -hmm. which is super interesting. And we work with a lot of pre-verbal trauma, which is basically like zero to two years old when you don't even really remember. But somewhere along the way, typically it goes to attachment. We've had some sort of wound that has made us internalize a belief about ourselves, such as like, I'm not lovable. I'm not good enough. Those are the two big ones I see a lot. I'm not lovable. I'm not good enough. And where that starts is typically like very early on. And then it's just reinforced over and over and over again. And we, in EMDR speak, we call that like a neural network. 
we start developing this, let's say it's unlovable, because that's a really hard one is I'm not lovable because my mom, when I was an infant, I cried too long. She didn't come. So I internalize that as I'm not lovable. And then we keep having those reinforcing experiences over and over that strengthen that neural network to the point where we get, it becomes our truth. And we feel like there's no way perceived truth out. Exactly. In a way, like, I'll just be like, that is your truth. Because I know, I know it's their perceived truth, but they'll fight me. They're like, no, that's true. Like, this is why, this is why, this is why, this is why I'm not lovable. Like, shut up. <laughs> so eventually we want to get to the point, even saying it's my perceived truth, that's a step in the direction of healing. But those are like the rocks, I would say. It's like those core beliefs. And also like when we have something really traumatic happen to us and like we have like big T trauma and little T trauma is something we talk about, mm-hmm. which I believe like there is a spectrum for that too. Then that's really tough. If we're like abused, neglected, things like that, those are also the rocks where we as kids, we're so egocentric, meaning we think everything is because of us and the world revolves around us. But it also is dangerous. So interesting. Back to like what to expect in an actual therapy session. Uh And something that like I've recently come to like a big awareness around is that a lot of things that you perceive as truth or that you take on as your own from ages zero to seven, 14. And this again, like this, I'm not a therapist, but like just what I've been learning and researching is not even your own you're taking around your environment and taking it in as it's your own thing. But at your core, it has absolutely nothing to do with you. And there are projections of what's around you that you are perceiving as you, but it's actually Mm -hmm. not you. You just don't have the capacity or the awareness to separate yourself from things that are being put onto you that are not yours to carry. Mm -hmm. And at least for me in therapy, it's been liberating to be like, this thought pattern or this program that has been running for 30 years that I've said over and over and over again, subconsciously was Mm -hmm. never mine to begin Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. ever. It's back to the perceived truth. It's just like at the core of who we are, which is why I always ask what you were like as a kid. Cause when you are a kid, there are so many parts of you that are still not yet programmed and it's coming Mm -hmm. back, coming back home to that thing that was pure or that was already whole because we 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 are really all whole at the core. But the work is just really reprogramming these pathways that have, like you said, reinforced over time. You kind of create that same manifestation of it over and over again because it's what you expect because it's mm-hmm. what you've reinforced. So like mm-hmm. the same situation, the same pattern, the same type of relationship, the same type of issue at work, the same type of accident that happens when you drive, whatever is continuing to happen because you are expecting it to happen because you've perceived something in your childhood as you, that's not you. And so Mm -hmm. it continues to happen until you're ready to recognize that it's not you and let it go. Mm -hmm. So that Mm -hmm. to me has been the process that's been like mind blown. I feel like if that's the one thing I wish everyone knew, like at the core, none of this shits us. Yeah. There's actually a really interesting book called It Didn't Start With You by Mark Wolin, W-O-L-Y-N-N, I think. And that, if you want to get your mind blown, have you read that book or heard Mm -hmm. of it? You want to get your mind blown like even more. It's all about intergenerational trauma. So he goes back like decades, yeah, decades, centuries. He'll go back into people's lineage and look at, okay, where did this start? It's wild. Just the things that even just being born, there's already things within us 
that to his verbiage, like didn't start with us. They're not ours, but we're carrying them from grandma, from aunt, whatever. Like we, we have them in, in us. That's such a wonderful thing to be able to do, to recognize like what you're carrying that's not yours. Like what is being projected onto you that has nothing to do with you. And then also to learn what we project onto other people because that's totally. the flip side, right? Like we're always projecting. I heard you say, and I totally believe too, like we are all mirrors. Everyone else is a mirror. Everything else is a mirror. And that's the big question of life, I feel like, is like, who am I? <laughs> Is there a me? Like if you go into Buddhist text and mindfulness text, then you that even becomes sort of like, okay, what? Like, so yeah, that's a huge part of therapy is just sort of like learning where are we projecting? Where are we carrying things that are not ours? And where's there space to just let it go? And it's like small micro moments of letting it go, I feel like. And th- those compound, at least there's certain ones that I've been like, this feels like a huge rock out of my backpack. Like, I feel like I really Mm -hmm. just let something go. This is what I mean by the cathartic vibes that I get in therapy. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just a conscious repetition of letting it go. And it depends on what it is that I'm working on, but it's kind of like an interplay of those two things. But what I was going to say about the intergenerational thing, because like sometimes, you know, like I'll go in and out and I'm like, man, like this is a lot of work. Like, you know, like Mm -hmm. going into therapy and doing all this shit. And it's like, how would it have been like if we're all just born without having to work on all of these things? And then I was like, well, actually, I am so incredibly grateful that at this moment in time, I was able to be born in such a privileged way that like I have the capacity to go to therapy and work on this mm-hmm. thing so that this shit stops with me. Mm-hmm. What a fucking honor that in mm-hmm. this lifetime, like I get to not that I'm going to be perfect or in the light all the time, but that I can have the conscious awareness to do the stuff so that the things that came before me, centuries, years pass, can start to come to the light and that mm-hmm. there don't need to be something that is passed on and passed and passed and passed. I'm super excited for the next generations to come. We're in an era right now where the stigma has definitely lifted. There's so much more conversation around it. And I just feel really grateful and lucky that we're in a time that we can and that like we're the ones that get to change the course. Totally. And I was going to say like that is the benefit of this. Well, one of the many benefits of the stigma diminishing is just I'm so excited, as you said, to see what is going to happen now that like sort of we've all been giving ourselves permission to do this work. And how is that going to reverberate throughout the coming generations and what cycles are going to finish? And there's always going to be certain things that are going to be perpetuated, right? But like Mm -hmm. the more that we can all do the work on ourselves, the more that we can sort of stop things from being passed down to to our children, to other generations too. I feel like we went real deep, (laughs) real quick. (laughs) Uh Someone's like, okay, you know what? I'm going to try. I'm going to call this therapist. I'm going to try whatever platform. Like I'm going to therapy. What can they expect when they walk in? First thing I would say is shop around because I work with a lot of people who have people-pleasing tendencies mm-hmm. and are, have difficulty setting boundaries, I always say that to them first is like, you do not need to stay in this because you feel bad. <laughs> like if you have a session where you don't feel like it's it's a fit, please like hear some referrals. I my first therapist for, for way too long because I felt like mm-hmm. it wasn't a fit in the beginning. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. So yeah. just for anyone listening, it's like also like that's been a part of it. And then I found like my therapist that I'm obsessed with. And I think too, like, I would hope like as me, me, it's a human relationship first and foremost. So I can feel it when somebody is coming to me and I can feel it when I'm like, "Hmm, like, is this really the vibe that they want out of therapy? Or is like, 
is there someone else that might be able to serve them better mm-hmm. for whatever reason? And so I always try to have that conversation with people up front. It's like, there's, there's no contract. I ask that you just be open-minded and we'll go from there. In terms of like what it looks like when you're starting out, like let's say you come to me and you say, hey, Charlotte, like I want to work on, I'm having a lot of anxiety and I'm having a lot of fights with my partner. You will set up an appointment. Most therapists will offer a consultation too, which is a good place to get like the feeling of, of how they operate. You'll come to me and then we'll just start a little bit from the beginning because, you know, past informs present, taking sort of your history. And then for me, because I'm a really eclectic therapist, I use a lot of different theories and modalities and things like that. My wheels immediately from the moment, honestly, someone reaches out to me, even through like their tone in an email or on the phone, I can kind of like get that little like spidey sense of like, okay, I think like this, this, and this might help them, but like, let me go a little deeper with them and see what's up. So they'll come in, we'll have our session. The first kind of session is more like history, what's going on, et cetera. Second session, we'll, we'll set up sort of goals and a treatment plan. And we'll talk about what the ideal outcomes would be for them. And from there, then we just kind of jump in. So it depends like really on what they're looking for support with. Something that I didn't expect, I guess, when I was starting therapy was that like that hour was obviously like very powerful. And like, there's a lot of amazing, like cathartic feeling from like, just like speaking. But I guess like what really I started to see maybe like six months in was it live in the world, maybe like sharing both, like what is happening like week over week. And then like what you start to witness within yourself and how you interact with the world live in action. That is where I'm like, I see it. So I think, again, depends, but let's go with the, let's go with the example of someone who has a lot of anxiety. Cause okay. that's something I see really often, right? Everyone. Um, Hi. Yeah. Anyone, all of us, anyone, anyone of us. that like lives on this planet. I guess a good way to put it is like the metaphor of like creating more space around things. So for example, like, let's say that there was something that used to be a very intense trigger for them and for their anxiety. Like, let's say it was, I've worked with a lot of women and this is like, I have coined this term, are you mad at me syndrome? Cause it's like women, we struggle so much with thinking that someone is mad at us. Like that's a, a big trigger for a lot of us, not to totally generalize, but that's common. So let's say that somebody comes and they have a lot of anxiety and they're constantly worried that like someone in their life is mad at them or that they're not good enough in the eyes of someone else. That could be an example of like, you might start to notice and boundaries in this go hand in hand. So if you say no, you worry that someone's mad at you for saying no. And that that will like spike your anxiety the rest of the day. You'll be ruminating on, are they mad at me? Oh, should I just go? Like, well, why did it, like, is it selfish that I said no, et cetera. That rumination will start to create more space so that it's not as like tightly wound in therapy. So for example, you say no, you might notice still in your body, oof, I'm triggered right now. Like that saying no was like really hard and I'm going to go into a shame spiral and I'm going to start saying all these mean things to myself and worrying this person's mad at me. But I know that's my pattern. I know that that's my brain, my limbic system in my brain getting all fired up. I know that that's trauma from mom <laughs> or whoever it's from. I'm aware and I can say, no, I can say like, let me create some space where I don't have to go down that that hole, right? I can allow for these feelings and these thoughts to exist and I cannot get totally hooked by them or fused by them. And I feel like the first thing that clients start to notice is they're less hooked is a good way to put it. Even if the things are coming up, they are able to step back, observe, and then like move on, let it go. 
In that so observation that window, sense? yeah, that made such good sense. I feel like that's really like a tangible example. And I think one that's very relatable to everyone, including me. Mm-hmm. But I am curious in that window of awareness, like in that microsecond that then starts to expand more and more session after session. What are some tools that you find help regulate the nervous system so that you can just be with that and like mm-hmm. it be okay? Yeah. So I always say like, if we think about it as like a thermometer and our temperature is really high, which means basically our, our nervous system is very activated a lot of times and we're operating in what we call hyper arousal. We're sort of always on edge, on alert, which a lot of clients who have anxiety, a lot of people day to day, just we are, we're all in like hyper arousal a lot of the time. We want to bring that temperature down or we want to bring our baseline temperature down as much as possible. So that comes in the daily practices like yoga like consistent sleep, looking at even like our, our eating habits, keeping our blood sugar level. I need to yeah. do a whole episode with a blood blood sugar expert. If you know of anyone, let me know. Huge might, yeah. one when it comes to mental health. And we don't talk about that, right? We do like, not we talk about it. And yeah. it's like, holy shit. <laughs> like it mm-hmm. really does. Totally. Sorry, yeah, I have a, yeah. I have a friend who's wearing a glucose monitor, a continuous glucose monitor right now. And she's been telling me the results and it's like, wild, how it really syncs up to our mental health. So yes, blood sugar stabilization and that for that, like, that's not my scope, right? I would refer to someone who's, a, who's an expert in that. Mm-hmm. If my client feels like they're struggling with that um, and we can work as a team, but there's all those like physical things that we don't think about, like all that groundwork that we need to lay so that our nervous system can get into that more, like our, what I call our window of tolerance, where we're sort of present, focused in the flow, relaxed, Laying those like that groundwork for those healthy habits is like step one. And then in the moment when you are triggered, I often find like the best tool is our breath because that's like how we regulate. That's how we get out of like fight or flight into our parasympathetic nervous system, which is like that rest and digest. And for a lot of clients, I'll just have them pay attention to I'll well, like in session, I'll be like, okay, close your eyes, go back to that moment. And this is sort of an EMDR tactic too. It's like, go back to that moment, really feel the feels. And let's imagine that you are able to, instead of react, you're able to respond. What do you notice in your body when you try to get into a response mode versus a reaction mode? And they can start to notice like, okay, like I'm clenching my stomach when I'm reacting. Let me just like soften. I'm, I'm, I'm holding my breath. Let me take a deep breath in through the nose. Let it go. My go-to is always breath work and other sort of like quick tools we can use with our body because it's so fast. Like our reaction is so fast and our amygdala lights up really fast in our brain. So we need like really quick tools. So I would say like long story short, in the moment, breath, just take some breaths and just notice if your body starts to like calm down and then you can go up to like the cognitive, like, let me look at my thoughts. But like, I wouldn't try to look at your thoughts first. I try to regulate your body first through breath. How do they first even recognize that they are in a state of anxiety? Because I think so, so many of us just walk in a state of anxiety and then we don't mm-hmm. really even know when the opportunity is to invite the breath in because that's just kind of like baseline state. What are some things that we can give listeners or anyone who feels like they have anxiety from time to time? Like, how do you check in to see if that's something that you're that's currently happening? It's a great question because a lot of us are living up in the mind. We're living like neck up versus neck down. We're not in our bodies a lot of the time. So we don't even know. And I get clients that come in and they're like, I don't know what I feel when I'm anxious. So what I normally do with clients is I will, again, walk them through a memory and I will have them just pay attention to areas of like a big one that we feel often like 
is tightness in our chest or sensation in our chest, our gut, which I've heard you talk about on the podcast, like the gut, our second brain. clenching. Like Mm -hmm. that to me is a huge body sign, like Mm -hmm. something to pay attention to. (laughs) Totally. Or like digestion I also feel it in my jaw Mm -hmm. and in my throat. And sometimes in my, in my pecs. And that's where I'll, I'll like have a moment and I'll literally like consciously send breath to those areas and mm-hmm. like try to like relax it. Totally. Yeah. That's perfect. Like I, yeah. that's exactly what I would recommend people do is like check in with your body. I will say that's not easy for a lot of people, especially if you've been had some pretty severe physical, sexual abuse, things like that. It really might not feel safe to do this. So you might want to really think about doing this in the safe container of therapy with somebody who can hold space for you to explore your body sensations. But yeah, like most of us have our tells and it's, it's unique to everybody, but there's some common ones. I would say like gut, chest, jaw, head, like pressure, and like just that sort of fight or flight feeling. Like once you start to pay attention to your body more, you notice it more, then you can start to learn like what your tells are. And something else that I kind of want to just share with anyone listening is that the responses that we all have served us totally mm-hmm. a thousand percent served us. They like, they're not something to feel shameful for or like mad at yourself for responding in that way because they actually like kept you alive and they literally like, they actually were super, super helpful tools up until a certain point. But if you're clicking and listening to this podcast, you know that there's something in you that's letting you know that it's time to let go of something that served you, which is scary. Cause like so far the track record has shown that you've done that and you're still alive. Mm-hmm. But something that I did not believe was possible was living without anxiety because I had always been so anxious. I didn't know that it was actually possible mm-hmm. to live in a state of that, not being my baseline. Mm-hmm. And yes, of course I have moments where it flares up and I now have tools and work through it. But I didn't know it was possible. And I think that like, if you're having the awareness to even like click on a podcast because you're curious about it, there's something inside of you that is kind of starting to get ready to let go mm-hmm. and thinking all the tools that got you to this point is like something that I just want to share because I had a lot of like anger with myself around that, that it's like, mm-hmm. why did I do this for so long? And like, why? It's like, girl, because you were trying to get to this point. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like mm-hmm. we got here. Totally. Yeah. The reason that we're all even here is because our ancestors had some anxiety, right? It's adaptive. And another, I think, important thing to note is that it's not just you, it's your brain. Like it is your brain and And there's parts of the brain and neuroplasticity is amazing. The fact that our brains are plastic and we can start to reprogram, but it does take time. So just remembering that like somewhere that got reinforced because it was adaptive and it helped you and your lineage survive is such a good way to look at it because otherwise we can get really caught up in shame around our own anxiety or whatever it is that we're struggling with thank you so much for getting to the end of the episode and more importantly thank yourself for choosing to learn more about how to come home to yourself as always take what resonates with you and simply let go of what doesn't I would really appreciate it if you can give the show five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it is that you listen, because that's the way that the show will continue to grow. And we are all about growth here. I'm sending you so much love and I will see you next week.